Hello. Oh, hello. <sighs> Hi, girlfriend. Hi. Hello, boyfriend. Oh. Welcome to NPR. <laughs> what, is, what is this? This is this is uh okay, so H three just started a podcast called H three After Dark. So this is our goose chase after dark. <clears throat> I was Soothing. going more with NPR. <laughs> that right, is kind it's of that soothing husky voice. It's inoffensive. Mm-hmm. I don't want to scare anyone. Right. No one needs to with be alarmed. With an actual vocal tone of any kind. It's so peaceful over there. It is. It's so peaceful at NPR. They almost never discuss things like poop. No. And urine therapy. Uh, you know, I would not be that surprised if there's an NPR urine podcast now. No, they. I'm sure they discuss stuff like that on uh, air and off air. Actually, I haven't they listened. They just do it like this. I used to listen to NPR a lot because I was driving to work. <clears throat> like yes. an hour drive each way, you kind of have to have something to listen to. And now you've given up driving entirely. Now I just don't go anywhere. We only hitchhike. <laughs> Wait, it's <what>? safer. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not because I'm not going places. I just, you know, I prefer to hitchhike. <laughs> You've given it up. Yep. Really working out my thumb. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> Boom. That's, I need a ride. Boom. You can't see it, but he sure is using that thumb. Do a hundred reps of that a day just to keep my thumb strong. You gotta do something for the shoulders now. Oh my God. Yeah, I fucked up my shoulder trying to open my <laughs> nice little coffee tumbler. I'm not one of two fail points uh, were were the the fault of this. Either it's that the metal has contracted around the plastic lid, or it's just grody and uh, disgusting in there. But I don't think it's that because I just had I had it off. I looked at it; it didn't look gross. Yeah, I got no answers for you. I haven't had a hard time opening like a lid in a long time, and I I, I fear weird that, flex, but all right. I'm I'm saying you you hand me a pickle jar. I'm on top of that. There's no problem, but this is concerning. This might be... I can barely open a bottle of water, so... it's It speaks of ill to come. It's like an omen. I don't like it. <sighs> I think you just got to get a new tumbler. <laughs> Maybe. I will say this about it. It's a screw-off lid, but there's very little amount of anything to grasp to screw it. Right. Just got that tiny it's little plastic... It's poor design to start. Yeah, it's not great. It was a freebie anyway. It's like a, it's P yeah. PNC I'm saying Bank I'm saying don't take it as too much of an omen. <laughs> <sighs> I'll try. Um, speaking of no, there's no good segue. Wait, for that. how did you get a free PNC mug? You don't even use PNC. I know it was at a company. This is so funny. So we had a company picnic, and there's like oh prizes you can win in the raffle, and then like we start looking around, and it's like all these are giveaways from the neighboring businesses. <laughs> It's really funny. Like, and some of Your our company own didn't stuff. didn't even like shell out for anything. No, actually, it was kind of hilarious because it's like one of the prize items is a, a, a company branded backpack. And it's like, why don't we get that? We used to get those for free. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I didn't got, even have to do a sack hop race to yeah. win one. I don't know if you know this, but at the end of that company picnic, there was like everyone had kind of won a prize and they were continuing to do. So they were like doing the thing of like, well, if you already got a prize, we'll draw someone <laughs> else, you know? Yeah. By the end of it, it was like no one just, wanted things. No one wanted. Everyone was. Passing. I remember you bringing a bunch of shit home because oh, yeah. other people didn't want it. And actually, I felt like really silly because I'm just like, OK, yeah, I could use. Sure. I guess I could use that. You're I don't too know. nice. No one. Well, yeah, because I actually I honestly felt bad. It was a little awkward. Yeah. Kind of felt like, you know, like uh, 
the kid who got socks for Christmas and he's like, oh, cool. <laughs> hey, yeah, I love a good sock. Well, you know, kids don't. If it's a pair, even better. Yeah, especially if there's more than one of them. I mean, I will take a single sock as long as it's new. Do we want to do an in memoriam for Megabed? <clears throat> yeah, we can. I forgot all about talking about that. I kind of feel like we should lay to rest a great American bed. That in the arms <laughs> of an angel. Keep yeah, talking. Yeah. Megabed was a good bed. Megabed was not a conventional bed. Megabed defied expectations and rose above his status in order to provide maximum sleep and a wonderful night for all. Megabed is survived by our actual king bed, which is a real bed that sleeps like a real bed. And doesn't hurt our backs. Yeah. Uh, Mega bed was great. I don't even know if we <clears throat> talked about it on the podcast, but it was two queen beds. I think we did a long time ago. Laid up the you know the, the long, long dimension on the wall. Up. Yeah, so it was just twice as big a bed. Uh, but we needed a proper bed because you can't lay sideways on a bed for turns years. Turns out, yeah, turns out the springs go the direction they go for a reason. They are engineered to a human body laying on it the way they expected it to be on it. And if you don't. It hurts real bad after several years. <laughs> yeah. So we finally bit the bullet and did the grown up thing and got it like our like really bought our first actual bed and bed frame. Yes. Um, which is pretty great and it's squishy. It's a memory foam. Yeah. And it's got that nice supportive swallows you up kind of thing. Squish. It'll be better once we get the actual bed frame because right now there's like two feet on either side we can't use because it's hanging off of. We can't do anything right. I know. We can't do anything right. We. Because right now there is an extra two feet of mattress hanging off either side. Not two feet. Uh, on my side, it's like almost two feet. It's It should be <clears throat> mathematically. It should be. What, like six inches of bed on either side? Well, I give it extra because I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, so we have it on a I have history. Spring. I have history with Jerry rigging beds. Yeah? Yes. Okay. But in, in this case. Beyond a mega bed? Yes. We have, uh, <laughs> I have so much history. <laughs> um, in this case, we have a queen box spring on our metal frame that's set to queen. Mm-hmm. And then it just, it just sings Freddie Mercury to us. Yeah, right. And Our then queen box <laughs> and then um, we have the king mattress on top of that, and so it hangs off the edges, and it's it's not good. But we we got a new frame coming. We just don't know yeah. quite when it'll be here yet. It's the problem with buying shit online is oh <laughs> the the mattress is going to be here like God knows how much earlier than the bed. Yeah. So you do what you got to do. So my history, do you want to hear some of the history? Yes, let's let, okay. let's look at a remembrance of beds past. This is not the first time I've slept on two beds pushed together. Okay. Let's start there. It's not the your f- first bed rodeo. Bodeo. Okay. Brodeo? Bro not brodeo. <laughs> I don't like whatever a brodeo is. At all. Uh, no one should. <laughs> so at, at the time it was two queens or no, not two queens, two twins. Um, because reasons we were broke. And I think uh, my significant other at the time, his family had a couple twin 
beds and they're like, oh, you can have these. And we're like, well, that's not big enough. So we push them together. The problem with it Mm -hmm. was that one of them was like had one of those built in mattress toppers and one of them didn't. So there was a significant height difference. So there was a slant to the bed. We did put like a memory foam topper on both of them. But it was still slanted and you would just kind of roll to one side. And one was definitely more, one side was more comfy than the other. Um, So we did that for a while. And then we moved. And when we moved, we were still pretty broke. But we're like, we want an actual mattress. So we ordered a memory foam mattress from Ikea. Uh Uh-huh. Which is fine, but we didn't want to pay because Ikea's mattresses are uh, proprietary, the sizes. They want you to buy their frames. You more or less have to. We're going to have a bed that fits the frame. Right. We didn't want to do that because we were cheap. So we had one of those metal frames that adjust to the size of your bed. So we made it a king size Mm -hmm. because that's what the mattress was. And then we got slats from Ikea and put them on a metal frame and they didn't quite fit. So they were like at odd angles. And then we put the memory foam mattress on top of slats on top of a metal frame. So it was way lower than it should have been. Yeah, right. And also hung off the sides. So you would occasionally be laying in bed. And if you got too close to the edge, you would just sink and You'd technically be falling off the bed, but you were still on the mattress because the mattress would dip all the way to the floor with you. Oh, my God. So we did that for a while. That's not good. (laughs) I have history. This is a big step for me. So that's that. I guess we got to do bed, an actual bed. Um, So far, so good. Yeah. Slept on it last night. Back doesn't hurt. Yeah. I was sore, but I think it's just from sitting out in the cold at the drive-in last night. We went to see a triple feature. We made it through two movies. Yeah. Before before olding out. birthday. Yeah. That was a super fun time. But we, we, I don't even know how to keep saying it's like, oh, we're old. But it's not that it was late. It was that it was so cold. It was cold. cold. If it were late but not cold, we could have hung in. If it were cold but not late, we could have hung in. But the combination (laughs) of the two is too much. It's actually really funny because like. I I have not felt that tired in a really long time. Yeah. And we're like, we had gotten home and we're sitting there just like with the dogs for a minute. And it's just like, I have nothing left right now. Right. This doesn't happen often. And it feels bad if we are gone for several hours to just like immediately go to bed and not pay attention to the dogs, especially right. Leroy, because he doesn't sleep in the bedroom with us. Right. So I don't want to like leave him alone all night and then come home and. Leave them alone some more. So I, I want to sh- spend some time. I want to shout out your joke today of uh, taking a picture of Leroy with a blanket over his head and referring to it as revenge of the sniff. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I took lots of pictures of him today because he was all cuddled up under blankets with me. <laughs> I took a uh, picture earlier. So he was completely concealed under the blanket. Laying on my lap, but under the blanket. But you could see his tail poking out at the end. So I took a picture of it and said, Leroy's been missing all day. I don't know where he could possibly be with my hand, like, pointing towards his tail. And my mom was like, I panicked at first. (laughs) She thought I was serious. That's funny. And then I showed her the picture of 
under the blanket and what it actually looked like, which is him just laying completely on top of me. Yeah, he gets very warm under there. Oh, well, it's honestly, it's great. He's yeah. a little foot warmer, and I <laughs> really appreciate that. Um, I have cold feet. But the, the drive-in was great. And yeah. um, we watched Halloween. Right. That was the first one, followed by The Thing, mm-hmm. which is great. And we missed... Uh, it was uh, Night of the Living Dead. <clears throat> Night of the Living Dead, yes. Yeah. So we made it through two out of three. Honestly, watching three movies back to back... I knew it would be a tough sell. It's it's a little harder than I thought it would be. The thing is, if Birthday Girl had wanted to hang... Oh, yeah. I would have had no choice but to try to You'd hang. you like, no, yes, I'm in for this. <clears throat> but it was but already she like was also o'clock. too cold. And she had never seen the thing before, and she stayed for all of it, but she said she wants to rewatch it anyway because she couldn't focus on it. Yeah. It it's, was it was pretty cool. That movie is like, its effects are such a big part of it, and they're so cool and inventive and creepy. It's kind of hard to see it on a drive-in screen well yeah. enough to appreciate it. Yeah, I, ju- I just think you kind of, you almost need to see that one now on like the best TV yeah. and, and uh, you know, cut of the movie that you can watch the highest definition because... Some of those shots are, a lot of it happens in kind of darkness. You know, there's a shot like in the dog kennel kind of like early yeah. on in the movie that is in, in real darkness. And there's just lots of stuff to see. I don't want to spoil a you know, 30-year-old movie. <laughs> right. But um, I will say if anyone hasn't seen it and they're thinking about it, it. I will warn you, there's lots of body horror. Yeah, right. Oh, yes. It's it's not like a typical scary movie, but it's a, like psychological horror mm. and body horror. Great sound design, too. Really good sound. Oh, my God. When we were watching Halloween, all the stings, <laughs> like yeah, whenever right. there's something scary happening. Yeah, right. Like, Even it was it, making us laugh so hard. So the very first one in the movie is when I think it's uh, it's not. Laurie, it's another character, has gone upstairs to her bedroom. Oh, no. The very first one yeah. is, yeah. It is from a the light outside. turns on. A light turns off. Oh, okay. And the noise goes, da <laughs> And it's like, oh, my God, the light went off. I, I laughed so hard. And I told you that I insist that we need to rig the house, that anytime I turn the light off, we hear that sting. Well, I will have you know the smart home of today <laughs> can easily be wired to make that noise every time you turn a light off in your house. Well, let's. Let's tell Google my every move even more. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so that was fun, though. We had a good time. Um, it's Spooptober. It's Spooptober. Let's just address that right up front. And then the theme of spoopiness. Mm-hmm. Is today a spoopy episode? I think today's pretty spoopy. Well, I, tr- I know next episode yeah. is really spoopy. Probably the scariest thing we've ever talked about. I think so. We've talked about some real creepy stuff. It's going to be... Whew. Spooptastic. Spooptastic. So be prepared for some spoops. Yeah. Definitely for some dupes. Yeah. Just saying. Uh, yeah. I'm excited for that, but I'm also excited for today's episode. Mm-hmm. October is a good month. <clears throat> yeah, I like October. Um, it's uh, it doesn't feel like any other season. Obviously, there's something just kind of I it's, don't know. It's chilly, but it's not too cold yet. Yeah. You can still enjoy like some fires outside and doing mm-hmm. stuff outside a little bit. I will say last night, Aubrey got hot chocolate for everyone who wanted oh, one. Lifesaver. And it made the first half of the thing bearable because I just like was wrapped in a blanket holding hot chocolate. And yeah. I was like, this is amazing. 
my my hands had begun to kind of hurt a little bit from the well, cold. You refused to let me share a blanket with you. Yeah, but that it, if we had shared a blanket, both of us would have been chilly. Because you're opening the blanket to the elements when you spread it across chairs. For future reference, yeah, I would rather both of us be a little bit chilly than <laughs> one of us be completely frozen. I was I wasn't completely frozen. I was just starting no, to feel I'm it in my just hands. Saying, By the let end me of the movie, warm you. Yeah, I know. I get it. I get it. <laughs> By the end of the movie, I was really like, okay, this is this is enough cold for me. Thank you. Yes. Um, but anyway, kind of feel like we've uh, done enough preamble here. Um, yeah, right. So, um, I don't know. What should we do next? We could jump right into the topic. I you know, we honestly, could I'm, do that. I'm it's always a possibility. Chomping at the bit. You know what? Let's do that. Okay, we'll be right back. <laughs> All right, no, we got ya. <laughs> of course, we're gonna play a game. Okay, well that's cool because we never do that. <clears throat> I it's something new and fresh. Mm-hmm. You gotta find ways to keep the podcast fresh. Yes, and that's why now, apropos of nothing, we will play a game <clears throat> called Spice of Podcast. Spice. Of <laughs> I learned about it from an MLM. Spice of Podcast. <laughs> Remember Spice of Life? I yeah, I think I do. I mean, I never I never witnessed no, any of these it was, things. It was strictly talked about in whispered tones only amongst women. Yeah, it was a lady thing, Spice right? Spice of life parties. It but l- it was just it was kind of like Tupperware parties, but instead of things to put your food in and keep in the fridge, it was stuff to put stuff in your to body. put in you right. and keep things spicy. Yeah, in it's, the bedroom. It's interesting. Why did well? No, I know why. Because it's fun and cute when ladies do it. <laughs> when guys do it, it's like scuzzy as hell. You just can't have a bunch of men in a room be like, yeah, this, this seems like this should be fun. All right, yeah. Also, give me two. <laughs> also, a long time ago, people figured out that if you really want something to sell, find a way <gasps> to market it to women. Oh yeah, because a lot of times, like. It traditionally, maybe not so much now, but like if there are purse strings, the man is bringing home the bacon, but the woman is doing all the emotional mental labor of figuring out what bills to pay and the money going out and the money coming in. And traditionally so, speaking, anyway. Yeah. So if you want, if you want to sell something yeah. and you're an MLM. Market it to ladies. God, MLMs have to be doing so well right now, which is such a bummer. Like they have to be, right? There's there's a few that I've been seeing a lot of. There's like this there's always nail polish ones. Yeah. But this one in particular is like um it's nail polish, but it's pre-painted and you peel it off a little thing and you put it directly on your fingernails. What? And they're they have like cute designs and stuff. It's actually kind of cool. I would maybe be intrigued by it if it weren't for the fact that like no nail polish lasts on my nails more than a day and a half. I feel like anyone who's ever tried to put a screen protector on their phone knows how fucking infuriating this could be. <laughs> yeah, but it it seems to work fairly well. I've had a lot of friends that are using them, but yeah, definitely an MLM. I've been seeing a lot of that one. Be your own boss. Yep. Be your run your own company. That's someone else's company. That's yep. the promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we got distracted by what we're actually doing, which is playing Trues and Fnoo. Holy shit! No way. 
A Merv Griffin production. Well, okay. I'll bite. What is it? Truths and Fnews is a game of fun little game and internet game that is sweeping the nation in which I will tell you news stories. I forget how many of which are which. There are two false ones or fnews, one true one. Truths. You gotta tell me what is what. I'm gonna give you a mulligan if you want it. No, I'm accepting my <laughs> flub. Not doing it again. All right. I always panic during that part. And flubs and dubs. Flubs and dubs. Are you ready? Let's just get it. Let's do Fucking it. into it. I am ready. <laughs> I'm acting like I've had caffeine, but I haven't. No. Number one. Ooh. Number one. Woman caught husband cheating by disguising herself as love seat in waiting in darkened living room. <laughs> We're starting strong. There's some Danny DeVito on It's Always Sunny vibes <laughs> in this one. All right. All right. Number two. COVID hobbies. Rhode Island woman trains four cats as circus act, puts on show on Facebook Live. Oh, that feels very real to me. Okay. Number three. <laughs> All of these are making me laugh today. I'm usually good at holding it together. Okay. Robber applies poop on his body to evade police capture. <laughs> applies poop. <laughs> like it's a like layer of varnish pod. or something. Yeah. It's really, I kind of think applies should be reserved for like, you know, uh, something, something that isn't just smearing your own feces on yourself. Oh, it didn't say it was his. It didn't. It could be anyone's poop. It could be anyone or anything's poop. It could be an animal poop. Wow. That really kind of opens the door up. Okay, let's hear him again. <clears throat> Recap. Woman caught husband cheating by disguising herself as love seat and waiting in darkened living room. That's so funny to me. Number God, two. please let that be the truth. Number two. COVID hobbies. Rhode Island woman trains four cats as circus act, puts on show on Facebook Live. Okay. Number three, robber applies poop on his body to evade police capture. Applies poop on his body. <clears throat> it applies the poop on its skin. I think it's really funny. Or else it goes to jail again. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's really funny. Wait, no, okay. Well, see, <laughs> I love like all of this. I love that they said apply, like they said poop. But they gave it kind of like a euphemistic <clears throat> verb. Yes. To apply is a little bit of it's it's kind of disguising I feel like the rub or smear would be more descriptive and accurate. Right. It's it's almost like they kind of cut back with the verb choice. Right. They could have made like some kind of watered down poop lacquer and dipped themselves in it. We right. don't know how they applied it. We don't. He could have. Yeah, right. He could have. He could have made like a nice watercolor with it. And yes. just kind of hennaed his body with poop. Could have made a poop henna. Um, it's more likely or as likely that he just picked up a dog turd on the run. 
Turn on the run. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so what are you thinking? I don't know. The image of a woman standing up as a couch going, ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so funny to me. They're just like, the, chair, the couch stands up with its <laughs> arms hanging off to the sides. I <laughs> knew it! <laughs> I always knew it. And he's, what the fuck? <laughs> I've got you! <laughs> Yeah, you did. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, that's so funny. This is a difficult decision. The second one feels most likely to me. The first one is my favorite. And the third one, the phrasing of it feels newsy. But they did say poop. Would they say poop? All of this hinges on whether or not a journalist... At a local news station would write poop in a headline or not. <sighs> These are the real hot takes. God, the suspense is killing me. Dead air. Dead I know. Air. Dead air, dead air, dead air. I'm going to go with <clears throat> what I feel is the safe bet, which is option two. B. Cat circus. Cat circus. Yes. You're incorrect. No. Oh, my God. No. You want a second guess? It's the poop, isn't it? The poop is the real one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Do you know more about the poop? Yes. Can I please have more information on this poop? Yes. Okay. That's um, the first time anyone's ever (sighs) said that. I'm not sure. Why is it not opening the link? Oh, God. Anyway, I read it. Okay. Beforehand. Yeah, so I can the, give you a breakdown. Give so, me the bullet points. Um, <clears throat> this occurred in India. It okay. was a man and his cohort. They were robbers, but also it detailed some schemes they did when robbing wasn't available. Like they would like throw oil on a car to distract a driver and then break in the car while the person was in there and steal their shit. It was some weird stuff. Okay, but anyway, so robbery, carjacking, and yes, okay. Um, so he was being chased by the police after robbing something. And (laughs) this is my favorite detail, Mm -hmm. uh, to try to deter the police from trying to grab him and bring him in. Yeah. He reached into his own pants and used his own feces. They use the word feces in the article, but they use the word poop in the headline. That's a very interesting decision. So I thought it was great because it means he probably literally shit himself out of fear and then was just using it to his own benefit. Yeah, you know what? I'm wondering, was he so scared he pooped or was it a purely rational decision? Has he developed a defense mechanism of pooping on demand If he, is when he... you need to smear yourself in your own feces? And if that's the case, how often has he tried this and how many times has it worked? He had a poop lined up. Like, that's the thing. He had one mm-hmm. in the chamber. So maybe he was ready. I mean, exercising can shake it loose. Right. So if he was running. That's true. You know. It just seems Likely. interesting that the poop was readily available when it's he readily it. available. He reached in his own trousers. You know, it's it's I can see it. I mean, like it didn't work, by the way. The police. Oh, really? The police still took him in. Oh, it's it, not the first time they've dealt with people covered in poop. That's true. I think, it happens. I think that people end up, you know, covered in a many number of uh, disgusting bodily yes. fluids and need to be restrained anyway. 
Yes. But it's like a, it's a serious hazard. That's a, I mean, I'll tell you what. Gotta you give don't want to be touching other people's poop. Got to give it up to those police who are like, nope, my <laughs> job is too important to let this poop get in between me and justice. Yeah. <sighs> wow. Stumped you. You did. I really can't believe that. Although now that I'm thinking about it, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it would work, but I'll keep it in mind if I'm ever having to evade capture. I think that'll serve you well. Okay. Well. Well, that's the game. <laughs> I was going to say, let's just move on here. Uh, and uh, that's going to be in my head for a while. Um, I really enjoyed writing these this morning. And uh, the woman disguising herself as a love seat was my favorite. How did you even think of that? Okay, there were several things that inspired it. Okay. One was that we just watched uh, Garden State, which I don't recommend watching Me today. <laughs> Me either. <sighs> yeah, it doesn't hit the same. Um. Anyway. There's a scene in that movie in which the the main character's aunt has made him a shirt out of leftover fabric that his mom had used to decorate their bathroom. Right. And she insists he go try it on right away. So he goes into that particular bathroom and he tries it on. And there's a scene of him just like leaning against the wall, uh -huh. blending out of the wall like a chameleon because he's wearing a shirt, the same fabric. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, that's a really funny idea. And what if someone just like wore the same fabric as a couch or something? Like, would it... and then no, there were a couple it. other things that made me think of it too. I forget what the other one was. <clears throat> yeah. But yes, <laughs> it, my brain was just like having a heyday. I'm, I'm sure you've seen it, but I thought of that scene from It's Always Sunny in their Christmas special where Danny DeVito hides in the couch. Did you see that? I think I have. And I think that was in my head, but I couldn't remember what it was from. Yeah. He's like, he's hiding inside a couch, which clearly has the shape of a man in it. Yes. Like yes, he's yes. not hiding well. Yes. And, and they're like trying to get people to shit talk him so that he can be around to hear it. And then at some point he just basically does like an Ace Ventura out of the back of the rhino where he rips <laughs> the fabric out and crawls out completely naked and, and all greased up and slides off the couch <laughs> to the horror of everyone at the Christmas party. That's great. That's I don't know. I don't know if TV will ever top that, but OK. <laughs> um, I don't see how it could. Good job stumping me. I'm paid. You're getting better at stumping me, I think. I don't think I've had a win in a little while, but I could be wrong. I feel like you did a few episodes, like a few of my turns ago. Yeah. Well. Anyway. All right. Let's uh, let's take a break. And we'll come back with something very spooky. Spooky. Uh, we will be right back with a thing. Weirdest yawn ever. <laughs> he almost threw like a me 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 me
actually do that when they snore? You do. I don't go me, 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 me. No, there's no way I do. Wait, hold on. Are you messing with me? <laughs> yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I was like, I cannot be a cartoon dwarf. <laughs> like, this is not going to work. <laughs> oh, it's so easy to trick you into thinking I'm serious anymore. Yeah. If you say it with enough sincerity, I will probably buy it the first time. <laughs> But in my defense, my immediate I do not do that. Do I do that? (laughs) At least my immediate second reaction, though, is to be like, you have to be fucking with me. (laughs) Yeah. Like there's some built in defense to this. Um, You know, it's always a possibility. So Spooptober. Wait, are we actually back? Yeah, we're back. We were just talking about me, 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 me's. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's all part of the podcast. And we're back. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Spooptober. All right. Spooky times. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we, we used to do like a weekly episode. So like we're not going to have as much Spooptober content as I would like probably. Mm-hmm. But I guess we could bleed it into Spoopvember if we want. It's totally up to us. No, November has to be all about turkey and okay. gluttony. Sure. The food-centric November episodes. Yes. <laughs> we're uh, going to eat on every episode. Oh we're not God. doing that anymore. We're never doing that again. <laughs> I won't do that again. Um. So for uh, this episode, I wanted to talk about some stuff that really <laughs> spooks me out personally. The kind of stuff that... It's also fascinating, but definitely scary to me. And um, I want to talk about the human brain. And in particular, I want to talk about the human brain as a meat computer. Okay. Which is one way of looking at the way that our brain works. Meat computer, spoop your pants off. (laughs) I don't know. It's creepy to me. Like the... I think it should freak us out all the time that we have a computer in our heads made of meat. Yes. Well, especially if you word it that way, agree. (laughs) It's because that's what it is. It's doing like these crazy. It's doing computation. No, this is you and I talk about this a lot about the fact that like, you know, our brains make a lot of shortcuts because they are actually computing quite a lot of input at a time and they have to find ways to process it so it doesn't take forever. Right. It's just the the brain is a really efficient <laughs> for what it for what it's doing. It's a very efficient meat machine. Um and I wanted to talk about uh for this episode um the ways we can physically manipulate our brains. The way that the brain works a little bit on a physical level, although I'm going to disclaimer this up front like the the way the brain works is a very obviously complicated subject, you know. Yeah, there's not a consensus on a lot of things. Some things are like deep, deep mysteries that we may never figure out. Although I <clears throat> would hope to think otherwise, you know. But like, I'm going to be talking about the brain at a kind of a high level. Um, I don't know. It's kind of a high level episode. <laughs> I mean, just just in terms of like the physical function of the brain. Anyway, because I just cannot be an expert on this. In like a couple of weeks time. It's not possible. Um, And I had less time than that. A couple of weeks is being very generous. Um, (laughs) I've had a whole lifetime to be bad at this, to be honest. Uh, But uh, so I want to talk about, you know, I will always be bad at having a brain. (laughs) Uh, I want to talk about the ways that we have messed with the brain essentially in the past and the, the future of what we might be able to do with our brains and 
what that might look like for what it means to be a human being. So just the, the mystery and terror of having a brain. All right. Um, and like I said, I'm going to start at a high level here talking about how the brain works because they're like, you know, everything you can say about it as like kind of a layman is a huge generalization. Yes. Um, so I want to start talking about what neurons are. Uh, you probably know a lot more about this than I do with the science background. I just have a feeling like you understood this probably better than I did. College was a long time ago. Let's see that. Okay. So, well, anyway, if you, uh, if you find anything to, uh, set me straight on as I talk about this, please do. Cause I'm aware that I'm talking outside my expertise here to anyway. say the least. Um, so everyone I think knows that the neuron is like a cell that is like basically the, the, the core of like what the brain is doing. It's like the building block of how the brain computes things and does things. Right. Yeah. Through little individual processors. And they're weird looking. I <laughs> hadn't looked at a picture of a neuron in a long time. Are they kind of spiky? Yeah. So they have the, this base of them, which is called the soma. It's like the main component of the neuron. It's the main body of it. Mm -hmm. And it's got all these squigglies coming out of it. Um, so you've got dendrites, which are like the inputs of the neuron, right? And they're mm -hmm. like connected more or less directly to the soma and they go all over the place and there could be tons of these things. Um, and they, they all are taking inputs from other neurons essentially. Uh, and then you have off of the soma, this big, long, you know, sort of, uh, spine, uh, mm -hmm. which is the axon or the body of the axon, right? It's like the. You could think of it as like if the signal electrical signal gets fired down a barrel, that's the axon and it travels along that path. The electrical signals from the soma of the neuron, they go down um, to the end, which is the axon terminal where you have the outputs of the neuron. So basically so inputs are the dendrites. Yes. Uh, soma is the body of it. The yeah. axon is the, you know. Yeah, the long body the of the communication device, the connector, and mm -hmm. the then there's the terminal end, which is the output. Yes, and there's lots of those too. So like <clears throat> this is part of how like neurons are able to form such complicated networks is that they can connect to multiple you know other neurons or groups of neurons because they can facilitate so many connections. Um also the axon is like surrounded by this like myelin sheath. Mm -hmm. which we're starting to get like better pictures of and like recognize what it looks like. And it's like it helps insulate that signal as it L travels. Lots of um, like nerve conditions and, and issues like MS have to do with myelin sheath being affected. Yes. Which when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because like the integrity of, you know, mm -hmm. any signal you know, is only as good as its ability to consistently get from start to finish, right? Well, it's like if you have an electrical wire, like a plug for anything, and then you remove the sheath off of it, like the rubber coating off of it, and it's exposed mm -hmm. and can potentially be damaged, it's more likely that the electrical signal isn't going to reliably get to where it needs to go mm -hmm. because it's not being properly protected. Yeah, and it's 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 like bi-directional too, because that signal can a like go the wrong way and be shorted out or something like that, or it can be like subject to interference from another signal outside of it and come into that cable. So, like in both directions, the integrity of the signal is dependent on good 
you know, sheathing or protection, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, this is this is like one of a couple of ways that neurons communicate with each other. Like it's electrical and it's chemical. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I, I feel like I don't know how much of this stuff is just everyone knows it and, and how much is. So this is kind of, you know, if someone's listening like, duh, well, then I, I congratulations, don't, you're smart. <laughs> I don't know how much of it is either. I, I did take science classes and I did take mm-hmm. lots of psych classes. And so it's kind of stuff that's discussed both places. And also like, you know, we're researchers. So a certain part of this is probably like. I've always been curious how the brain works too, but I don't know how many people actually. Yeah, that's see, I, that's why I felt like it might be worth covering. It's just like, sure, a lot of us learned this I, a long time ago. I think it's. I think most people, at the very least, have asked the question on a lay level of like, "Oh, how's the brain fucking work? It's weird." Yeah, and then they usually get the answer of, "There's a lot of things we don't know." <laughs> yeah, right, and like even this, like I said, is a simplification, but. You know, you have this thing of like neurons fire to other neurons and that's one thing. But then you also have the the so where the axon terminal ends and another dendrite essentially bridges that gap. Mm-hmm. This gap between those two is the synapse. Right. So it's that little space between one neuron and another neuron that it's communicating to. And those synapses have chemical activity happening between them all the time. So like different. Uh, chemicals affect the way that a signal will be uh, interpreted or received or whether it will be passed through or not. Um, would those be things like, um, now I get like dopamine and stuff like that? Yeah. I, I actually put like the one that I think most people are familiar with serotonin. is serotonin. So, you know, part of how many popular antidepressants work is that they keep serotonin from being taken back up into one side or the other of the synapse. So like serotonin goes out, it's in the synapse, it affects, you know, the way that the signal is transmitted. And then it's, sometimes it's re up, like taken back up into, you know, one end or the other. So a, an SSRI will keep that saturation of serotonin high in there. And serotonin has um, <laughs> guys. Store bought is fine if you can't make homemade. What? You never heard that? What were you talking about? <laughs> it's it's a reference to the Barefoot Contessa. It's something she says about like if she's making recipes and she does something homemade, like makes her own vanilla extract or something. Right. She'll say store bought is fine if you can't make. It from scratch but people have taken this for things like mental health medications that oh. help like serotonin production and stuff like that saying if if you don't have homemade neural transmitters oh i see what you're saying store-bought is fine well so the thing is and i could be wrong what, what i understand about those medications is you're not taking serotonin <clears throat> right, right, but, right. But what you are taking is something that keeps serotonin saturated in those synapses. In a, I mean, they call it selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So they work on a yeah. selective level. Um, and, of course, that's probably more complicated than that, too. But, um, the, you know, serotonin has an exciting exciting effect on the the neural connection. So it'll you change in, a, um, in an increased way what signals are fired through or passed on. I think it's part of the reason, so like if if people are clinically depressed for reasons like this, you know, Mm -hmm. the serotonin not 
doing what it should, not having enough or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's so many effects. And obviously we know some of the like things like what depression does, but also things like yeah, memory loss mm-hmm. that you don't think about because you you need serotonin to process signals and it affects a lot of different things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like we're talking about a chemical that has a sort of a, and again, this is complicated, but I think a overall stimulating effect on neural connections. And that can mean like all kinds of things, you know, like it's not like stimulating in the sense of like a stimulant, like, you know, right. It's. It encourages neural connections. Yeah, it encourages brain activity. And, you know, the, the consequences of that are complex. So that's I think that's why you have to have, you know, a selective application of that, you know, and, and why medications work for very specific reasons and all that. And and why they might work one way in one person and a different way in another person. Yeah, that's another thing is like the brain is – I mentioned this later, but like we, we all kind of have these like similar structures, you know, and they are of different – you know, size and effectiveness and all of that. Our brains are like, you know, there's variants, but we have these, these big blocks that most of us have, but then on the really granular level of like what's happening in there, our brains are all wired. Well, you're very so much of like neural, like the connections that are made in the neurons that exist and all that is dependent on like so many factors, yeah. like nutrition and stuff from when you were a baby. Mm-hmm. And if you ever had a head injury and like yeah. so many things that like, even though we all have the same basic structures for the most part, mm-hmm. mine are going to be on that very microscopic, like very specific level, very different than yours. Because even if we had similar upbringings, I might have eaten different foods that that did different things, you know, like. Yeah, right. You could have had encouraged development here or there at different times when it was critical for that to happen. and So many little factors. It should be no surprise to us how different people are as a result of how individually the brain develops. Yeah. It's reminding me of our last episode when Kristen was talking about, you know, the factor of like not having social interaction Mm -hmm. at a very young age. And that affects development. Yes. Too. So there's so many different things that can affect people. Yeah, because the brain is it's not just influenced by its own path of development. External factors totally change, you know, yeah. what happens and when. Um there there's I'm gonna leave a lot of stuff out, obviously, but like here's something I really want to focus on. Neurons do not fire at varying intensities, which is okay. very interesting to me. Like a neuron can't Take an input and go, oh, it's time to fire and then do like a 25 percent kind of low level electrical signal. They either fire or don't based on a threshold of whether the stimulus is enough for it to fire. OK. Part of that is influenced. So it's by like the- a it's like a light switch. Yes. And actually more to my point here, it's binary. Yeah. Which freaks me out (laughs) because, you know, like that means physiologically on some level, our brain is doing ones and zeros. Mm -hmm. That should freak you all the fuck out (laughs) because I guess it's not it's really not, you know, it, it speaks more to how do I put this? I mean, we made a computer, you know, we made binary, we made uh, these, you know, constructs of like information technology and all that, um, like, you know, based on, you know, 
you know, <laughs> the brain obviously. How do I put this? <laughs> we sh- it's not like um, we we designed the machine, so of course it may you know it, it's modeled after our understanding of the world, right? And so it's not that freaky, really. But it is cool that when we look into the brain, we see such a similarity with like our idea of computing. Yeah. Well, it makes it it makes things like AI very fathomable. Yeah. Because it, it works it works the same way. Yeah, you could say that there is something that arises out of basic on and off machinery. And that thing in our case uh, you know, is what we think of as our consciousness, as well as all of our physiological behavior and, and, and sensory inputs and, okay. you know. And not to get you off topic, but yeah. there's so many studies done about this kind of thing. And one that I've heard of, it basically the results indicated that your brain has often made a decision before you realize you've made a decision. Yes. And so there's a lot of implications for that. Things like... Free will. Yeah. Are you actually making the calls or how is your brain making the calls if you're not aware of making the calls and it's already been done? Yeah. But it's still you because it's your brain, but you don't know you've done it. Yeah. This gets into the philosophy of determinism and whether, you know, whether everything that we think we do independently is, you know, the illusion that our brain gives us to justify to ourselves what it did. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's just that brings up even more questions. It does. And it has like severe ethical implications. Yeah. But it's it's one of the things about the brain that is scary to me. Well, and, and yeah. interesting and does go back to that whole like binary computery type thing, because it's like, OK, a conclusion has been made. Uh, <laughs> it was a one and not a zero. But why? Like, yeah, right. It just happened. And you don't know why stuff like that defies our questions of why. Yeah. There's a reason it happened, but we're not privy to the answer. It's there are. Yes, there are a lot of very scary implications of thinking (laughs) about what it means to be like piloted around by a machine that might be making all of its decisions for us and then telling us we did it. Yes. Uh, (laughs) That might be the spookiest part of this whole thing, actually. Um. So I want to get a little bit from this one and zero binary behavior to into how this translates into the brain doing stuff. So, so now I'm getting even more vague in general, but I think it helps. Um, so like if all of our thoughts and sensations and everything is generated through this very simple, you know, stuff firing or not firing, um, the 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 mechanism by which that happens i kind of talked about which is like you know the the axon fires and a signal comes down to the synapse and then the synapse in the synapse various factors help influence whether the receiving dendrite will take that signal and fire it right mm-hmm. um the these the these are all basically circuits of neurons so you can think of all of these like connections as somewhat interconnected loops of processing right Mm-hmm. Uh, because the dendrites can be so many and the axon terminal can have so many connections, there's lots of interdependent stuff happening. Yeah. Um, so let's take an example and work our way up on what the brain is doing. I, I wanted okay. to refer quickly to Ray Kurzweil's book, How to Create a Mind, which I admittedly did not finish. Um, but I read it, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of it a pretty long time ago. And the focus of his book is about more or less how we can use what our brain does 
to help us understand what a what an intelligence would look like if we made it by machine. Mm-hmm. Um, I recommend it. I thought it was really, really interesting. Uh, I'm going to start at like a really low level of the hierarchy of the brain, because I think it's important to see that the brain is is more than anything else, a pattern recognition machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and a series of like logic gates, very much like what we do when we program a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to start with this example of like, like, okay, so like, how does the brain read something? Like when your eyes are presented with letter forms, how do you get from that to like, you know, reading and, and understanding what you're reading? Um, at a certain level, it stops being so easy to understand, but, um, so, like I said, these are neural circuits, and they have special purposes. So a single neuron by itself is, you know, so low level that it's almost kind of absent any, like, real computational power, I guess. You know what I mean? But so, like, the, the, let's say that the you're looking at a letter form, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, visual information is coming in through the eyes, and it's going to these optical recognition neural circuits groups mm-hmm. of neurons that are designed just to do that. And so the brain has, you know, maybe a circuitry dedicated to, okay, what does the, like, does this shape have a curve over here? You know, and that circuitry might only do that. Like a handful of neurons, you know, a handful, but you know, like a lot of neurons might be dedicated just to, does this thing have a curve around the top? Because I've trained it. You know. Right. I was going to say the first step, which we're not really getting into, is you have put in the effort of teaching your brain a language. Yes, <laughs> teaching exactly. your brain to learn a visual yes. language. And, you know, like we have to learn to read because we don't have these patterns to which, recognize. Which means you're training the neurons of what to do. Yes. Like this... This is what this is. So you one some of you guys up there have to recognize if there's a curve here. Yeah. Some of you have to recognize if there's a straight line mm-hmm. and in combination what that means. Yes. Right. So then so then one group is just going, okay, is there like a curve around the top right? Yes or no? Yeah. Right? And if it fires, yes, boom. That that binary thing. That's that's a boom it's, output. So it's like um to give another visual representation of this that you can think of. It's like Almost like a decision-making chart where it's like... It's like a flow chart with yeses and nos. Yes. Kind like of. if... So, so what should I eat today? Mm-hmm. Um, d- do you like Italian food? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then it goes to the next thing. Do sure. you like this? No. And then it goes... It's, so it's mm-hmm. it's like very fast... Problem solving mm-hmm. tree. Yeah. And that, that, that is a good point is that this stuff happens incredibly fast. Um, and so maybe there's like say 20 or 30 circuits, all that are making these very basic decisions or pattern validating to be like, OK, is this part of the shape here? Is this part of the shape here? Right. And when enough of those have said essentially yes in output, I mean, there's a higher level circuitry. That has received enough positive inputs. In other words, it's that threshold I talked about. Mm-hmm. There's enough of a threshold. Uh, you know, it crosses that threshold enough to say yes, fire yes on this. And essentially what your brain has done is subdivided out all the parts of a letter form 
and then confirmed by all of those what letter you're looking at. This makes um, things like dyslexia very mm-hmm. interesting because it's I don't know exactly what the cause is if it's if it's the receptors not mm-hmm. receiving the information the right way or if it's not processing it the right way. But it's like someone's not doing their job quite correctly. Yeah, and it's hard to say because, like, again, I'm I'm actually sure they could. They probably have an idea of which it is. I just don't know because. Right. But let's take a totally hypothetical, not dyslexia situation (laughs) and just Mm -hmm. say if your circuitry, you know, is the threshold is not high enough for that certainty. Yeah. To, to, for your brain to fire off and say, I'm looking at the letter T, you know, if the if the if, if you're getting that positive output without it being certain enough, you know, that complicates the higher level processes. So, that so depend basically, on it. instead of being like, OK, you have a vertical line and you have a crosshatch line. Mm-hmm. And if the neurons in charge have said both of those exist, mm-hmm. then that's a T. Yeah. Th- that would be like regular functioning. But yes. If something happened with the neurons in charge and they're like, there's a vertical line, that's a T. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Like there there are many ways for the brain to get this wrong, which is why it's so fascinating that we can train our brains to do this very complicated task. Um, This is part of what I think they describe as neuroplasticity, which is like, what are the kinds of like things your brain is capable of being trained to do? Yeah. And uh it just it really does just blow my mind that we're able to like specialize and train the, you know these parts of our brain to do these specific tasks now think about the fact that not only can you do this for one language you can do this for many especially if you're right. a kid so you can have all of these neurons having all these these jobs to do of recognizing and reporting mm-hmm. yes or no if this fits this parameter, but yeah. then do it for several different languages at the same time. I'm not sure, but I would guess that this accounts for why it's <laughs> so much harder to learn new languages later in life is that there is a really formative period of brain development when you're younger where this stuff is very, very easy to do relatively. Well, I also think like that plasticity thing is there's there's just way more of it <laughs> when you're younger. I, yeah, well, you start to be pretty well formed at a certain yeah. point. You know, yeah. it's not that you can't learn new things, but you're training well-wired circuitry, mm-hmm. um, I think. So teach your kids five languages. <laughs> teach them while they can <laughs> learn it. Um, anyway, the that's a, simil- a simple example of like, you know, s- simple inputs building up to more complex inputs. You can take that from, you know, I recognize a letter to I recognize a word. But then like when you start to get to, oh, OK, but like how do I recognize a, like a concept? Like, mm-hmm. like how do I take this interpretation of a word and now I've tied it to like An its idea. abstract idea, which lives somewhere else in my head. And then the visual representation of that in my head, which, you know, not everyone has, not everyone yeah. can visualize I stuff in their head. I typically don't see things as pictures in my head. But like, if you try to like, you can, I can visualize things, but it's kind of hard for me to do. There, there are people who like, cannot call to memory what their spouse looks like. 
Yeah. You know? And and there are people, like you said, the brain is a pattern recognition machine. There, there are people who have very poor pattern recognition in general. Mm-hmm. There are people who cannot recognize people by their faces. Mm-hmm. So whatever neurons are responsible for that specific pattern recognition, just they they aren't able to do it. They weren't formed or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it's fascinating. Um, yes, it is. Now, there's uh, so many complicated things that have to happen at the same time for this to work, though. And all of this, I, I think, is better explained when you realize, like, like I said, like all every neuron can have, you know, these hundreds of connect. Well, not every neuron, because some neurons only have like a couple of dendrites and that's it, you know, but other more complicated neurons have hundreds, you know, and so like the very complicated connections between areas of the brain facilitate this total experience of consciousness, right? Which mm-hmm. is even more com- like consciousness itself is crazy complicated. I don't want to get too much into it. <laughs> um, cause they don't know a lot about it. Right. Um, so anyway, now I moved on to that's great. How do we screw with it? <laughs> um, before you do that, I, I have a personal question for you cause I'm curious cause I think it's fascinating. Okay. How does your brain work when you think things? Do you visualize it automatically? Do you like think in pictures or do you think in in words or in sounds? Okay, yeah. So th- I think that's actually kind of hard for me to answer. Cause I, I mean, and I think I think it's also a combo. Yeah, like to, it's not you know. like I can I can generate in my head the experience of like listening to my own narrative voice mm-hmm. or um, abstractly sort of like modeling objects or seeing objects, you know, I can think in, I can think in words or I can think in, um, I don't want to say vague concepts, but just sort of like, I think un- I mostly think language. in ideas, you know, like it, it's not like <clears throat> a visual distinct image. Would you call it like an unvoiced language where it's like, it doesn't have words, but it is kind of though. If I'm reading, I hear it. If I'm reading silently, you know, I hear it as my voice in my head. Right. Um, most people's voice, I think in their head is their voice or something approximate to it. Or like, you know, I'm not literally hearing it. So it, it, maybe it's not, it might not be, but it's not like, it doesn't sound like anything, so I'm I'm not like, well, yeah. that's a different voice, you know. I'm trying right. to say I don't hear voices. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, but I also like, it, I feel like I process things better if I've heard them. Mm-hmm. So, like, say I'm trying to recall something, like, oh, that that person just read me a phone number that I've got to remember. I don't visualize the numbers when they tell it to me. I remember it as them verbally telling it to me. So if I need to remember it, I have to remember the sound of it. Okay. Or like. I will recite the number in my head. Or like how many times did, did that thing happen? I have to basically listen in my head to how many times I heard something tap or whatever it was I'm trying to count. Okay. If that makes sense. No, that makes sense. You're like basically tapping into the actual experience of it as like sort of reconstructed in your memory. Yes. So whatever that experience was, it's like you would have to think back to what something looked like or what it sounded like. Yeah. Okay. 
Interesting. I, I find know. this stuff interesting. It's not necessarily exactly what you're talking about right now, but well, but it's relevant because, like, now think about like you know how memory interfaces <laughs> with sense senses, and how often memory is a product of like you know how we sense something. You yes, know? and we're not even going to get in with how fragile memory actually is, which it is. Yes. Um. But anyway, so yeah, how do we screw with the brain? I'm going to very briefly discuss something that I think is interesting. And I think most people probably know about, but you know, the brain, because it uses electrical impulses and chemicals and stuff, there's lots of ways to mess with it. Um, like I said, the, you know, SSRI drugs or whatever are one of the ways that we change how we change maybe the threshold of how a neuron fires and then therefore change the behavior, you know, that is generated by that. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote that, uh, they're finding that uh, psilocybin, like in like mushrooms, Magic you know, mushroom. is uh, has a huge effect on the brain's ability to promote healthy neural growth in the dendrites and facilitate like, like positive growth of effect. Yeah, so essentially, it facilitates all this synapse and dendrite growth, which then results in better interconnectedness between areas of the brain, which is okay. like I don't know that that has anything to do with this, the uh, like the sensory experience of being on mushrooms. So feed your kids shrooms. I feel like it would have to do with that experience because like, so. But you're not necessarily you, growing neurons in real time is my thing. Yeah, but you, you, they learn things. They learn how to do things from stimulus, from input. And, yeah. and if there's an input for it, then something's got to adapt to be able to process it. So if you're giving it all this input. Mm. I would say if you do it like once, maybe not gonna right. This you know that's what I mean is I like I want to separate like the experience of mushrooms from like the fact that people do report like a certain kind of like uh, a new sense of like the connectedness between people or you know stuff like that. Yeah, and part of that may mm -hmm. be facilitated by like the 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 growth effect on neurons and the the overall neural health that seems to be connected to it. Hmm. I don't know. I I just wanted to mention it cuz I think it's interesting. <laughs> um but uh I also wanted to mention people probably know this but when you poke the brain weird stuff happens. Yes. Um yes that is true. Cuz of course it does. <laughs> um I don't know if you know this. I did not realize this when they do brain surgery on someone they will very often do it on them while they are, are awake yes and they will have them do tasks and things while they do it yes i saw a video today of a dude playing a guitar while they worked on his brain so that i didn't hear of that but i do know they've done things like that yeah and i guess just because that's the best indicator they have of like oh wait we nope we messed up Back right up. like you you still have brain function just because the brain is such a complex device that like there's no better measure of if it's working right than i feel like you they I, I don't know for sure but i imagine if they're working on a specific part of the brain they will have the person do a task that is related to that part of the brain so then they know immediately like okay yeah. we're working in this area we know it usually has to do with a verbal language mm -hmm. so talk to us while we're doing this and then if something goes weird we'll know pretty soon that like yeah. something went bad Th that might be true the guy they were working on in the video i saw was like undergoing brain surgery for like tremors and he was playing a guitar well, while that makes he did sense. it you know he was the, the whole point of him getting the surgery was so he could continue to play guitar right so yeah 
Um, there might be something to that, actually. Um, but I want to move on from that, even though that's really cool stuff. I think I remember that they, I, they call it the Braca's region. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is the, the French neuroscientist who, like, discovered that this specific area of the brain, people, you know, uh, were having issues with speech. It was connected to, like, pressure on this region of the left frontal region of the brain, whatever it is. I don't know. Mm -hmm. but um, And I think they even – I feel like I remember reading, but I couldn't find any, like, evidence of it online, that, like, they would depress it with, like, a stick and you would watch people in real time be like – I feel like I remember learning about that in a psych class. Yeah. It's so the the point of mentioning this is just okay, so we can push on the brain and we can screw with how the neurons are communicating with each other as a direct result of that. So what else can we do with it? Right? If mm -hmm. we can just smush it and get weird behavior, like you push on this part of your brain and you just start giggling for no reason, like I mean, but of course of course that works. Of course it works. Because, yeah. Because neurons are cells. Yes. So if you're, like, compressing the tissue where the cells are, mm -hmm. of course you're going to do something to the cells. And so. You may be closer bridging many, many synapses, too. So you might be pushing yeah. them together. Or you might be separating them by a certain distance, you know. Yeah. So um, you'll get, like, a response you might not normally get because it's like you're making neurons interact that normally wouldn't yeah I, I i i don't know exactly all the things that happen there but like of course you're right of course it does you know any other piece of electronic equipment if you mess with the way it connects to itself electronically the wiring yeah so i want to talk briefly about something that i always heard about and thought was super cool and um <laughs> i take it with a grain of salt okay because it might be bullshit all right but um, this was an anecdote I heard years ago. You probably heard about this thing called the God Helmet. Does not sound familiar to me. Really? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, like I said, this might be bullshit, but we're going to go here anyway. Um, this was a electro-stimulating, not electro it was a magnetically stimulating helmet. It was developed by uh, Stanley Corin and Michael Persinger. Persinger? Pers maybe Persinger. I'm going to say Persinger. Um and it was developed to test a few neuropsychological hypotheses about what you could do with the brain, right? Uh, it basically generated really weak, really weak magnetic fields, but directly onto the surface of the skull. Um, you know, much weaker than you would experience in regular day-to-day -day life. I read, you know, like if you're standing under a power line, you're getting more magnetic influence than you would get from this helmet. Mm -hmm. But it was the array of electromagnets and the complexity of the patterns that was supposed to generate the effect that it had. Um, and those effects were all around the hypotheses that this guy had concerning the bicameral mind. Uh, are you familiar with the term bicameral mind? I know I've heard it, but I can't recall what it means. So this is a sort of it's it's initial genesis was uh, a guy named Julian James hypothesized in 1976 that the brain initially developed as two minds. Oh, OK, OK. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so you have what he hypothesized was the sort of like the narrative or like the boss brain. And then you had the the actor or the the one that obeys. Right. And you have like these two minds that are acting a certain way with each other. And he hypothesized that when you have a breakdown in the division between the halves of the brain, which is like the the corpus callosum is this big region that connects most yeah. of it. You know, this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, this is more in your wheel wheelhouse. Well, it's, so. If you can imagine a drawing of a brain 
right down the middle, there's like a large hunk of tissue and that's the corpus callosum. Mm -hmm. And they have shown that they can basically cut a brain in half and it won't necessarily communicate with the other side of the brain, but those yeah. sides of the brain can still function independently. Yeah. Um, and, and his hypothesis was that they were always initially separate and they kind of merged at some point. Part of the interesting theory around that, too, is that there there are some there is some evidence to suggest that when the halves of the brain don't communicate particularly well, some people can experience auditory or visual hallucinations mm -hmm. that appear to be coming from the external but that are actually possibly generated in the other side of the brain. Oh, that's interesting. Very interesting. Has a lot of implications. Also, maybe helps us, you know, well, it's not that there have been more people throughout history who have heard voices, but, you know, all the big ones that are, you know, in our holy books certainly seem to have happened a long time ago. And so, blah, blah, blah. you might be able to extrapolate that, you know, the brains were separate back then and, and you had a higher incidence of people receiving some kind of, Prophecy through their own head, whatever. Yeah. I don't necessarily buy all that. I think that's... It's an interesting idea, but there's no way to exactly. prove that. Uh, exactly. Um, and also, people can lie. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's no way to know that stories from very, very, very long time ago are even accurate. Right. But the, the division between the brain halves and this bicameral mind are... And they're, it's super contentious. People don't agree necessarily on this hypothesis, but it was part of what, you know, uh, this helmet was designed for, right? Um, they were basically trying to see if they could disrupt the connection between the halves of the brain and generate a sense of two selves. Yeah, I'm right. Um, and, you know, Pershinger believed that many paranormal phenomena were generated by that breakdown. So not just sort of hallucinations or people hearing or feeling two minds or whatever, but, you know, ghosts and things like that. People, the kind of feelings people have that are beyond their, that feel external to them. Mm -hmm. um, so the, I wonder if that hmm? has anything to do. So you can hear, have you ever heard someone call your name and no one called your name? <sighs> It happened one night. Do you remember? I was yeah. coming out of the, I was coming out of the bathroom. It was late at night, and I screamed and ran into you the You did. <laughs> yes, you did. And then later that night, not that long after, I heard someone say my name too. Yeah. And I know no one said my name. Mm -hmm. It was me in my head somewhere saying my name. Right. But it, it's not the first time that's happened to me. It sometimes you hear that, but that yeah. that's an interesting, interesting. Um, idea of maybe where that comes from and who knows if that's related or not or something completely different but that's a weird thing that your brain does sometimes now that you mention it like given all the stuff we just talked about about how there's thresholds for the brain to fire signals and you know acceptability thresholds before this is like a confirmed yes on this thing and then you know then this goes to here and here like it should not surprise us that every now and then we experience something we Something's cannot weird. explain yeah um that should happen with more regularity, you would almost think, except that the brain is, you know, for all its flaws, pretty good at, for most of us anyway, giving us a, you know, consistent reality-based experience. <laughs> yeah. I I remember when I was younger, any time I would have that experience of, like, hearing my name, I was religious when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And so immediately it would be like, God. <laughs> <laughs> Is it you? Are you there, God? It's but it was Christy. always just like my name and then nothing else. So it's like, well, well, I know my name. 
Thanks for that. That's another thing, though. Like the brain is so heavily trained for you to recognize your own name because it's super important. Yeah. So like it makes sense that that would be a thing that you would hear more than maybe any other kind of weird phenomena. Thinking you heard your own name. Um, Well, and it's also an experience you have really often. Sure. Like like hearing your name. Hear someone say your name all the time. Right. So So it makes sense that it's sometimes like your brain just repeats a pattern of neural firing that it hears. It happens a billion times and does it sometimes. I mean, you know, like I don't know if that's how it works or not, but you know what I mean? Like it it makes sense. It's a common experience for you. Yeah. It makes sense for it to randomly. Makes perfect sense. Happen. I mean, I know we're doing a lot of speculating, but that makes sense to me. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Anyway, carry on. So I'm just going to very quickly touch on what, what I think is bullshit is, which is that, you know, so they, they tried to basically generate magnetic patterns in the brain that were reference patterns from brain scans. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like they would have some kind of experience of something recorded and they would take that magnetic pattern. And they would try to generate that essentially interference pattern onto a brain. So like, okay, we did a brain scan and it looked like this. And so if we magnetically induce that induce that pattern, you should be having this experience. They also gathered like magnetic patterns, I think, from like, like, I I don't know if I fully understand it. I I swear to God, I thought I read a tree, but that can't be right. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's all brain scans, but um. So basically, um, they had varying levels of success in the initial study. Um, it's but it's been mostly thrown out as a useful methodology because almost no one can replicate it. Right. Um, some people had the experience of like a haunting presence feeling, which I feel like I know that experience from nightmares. I like have a haunting presence nightmare like once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, multiple people reported full out of body experiences. I mean, if if I have a Oh God! What's it called? Sleep. Sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis. That's yeah. the closest I can. Yeah. I can imagine to haunting presence. I get I get a terrible feeling of like a bigness that is looking at me. I don't know how, to, but I can't see it. I can't hear it. I just feel it looking at me. It's very weird. With sleep paralysis, I usually see something. Yeah. And one time it was me. One time it was you. That was actually you. the only pleasant sleep paralysis experience. <laughs> I don't know if we've talked about this. I think we have, but do it anyway. Because it makes you feel so good. Yeah, it makes me a hero in your dream. (laughs) Um, So usually when I have sleep paralysis, it's like um, for people who haven't had it, you're you're kind of usually just falling asleep or just waking up. And so you're not fully in a dream. You're not fully asleep, but your body still isn't awake. So Mm -hmm. your brain is doing stuff. And you're awake enough to sometimes incorporate your physical surroundings into what you're essentially hallucinating. Yeah. Um, So usually I see the room I'm in and but I usually see something else in it that's not actually in the room. So like a lot of people see kind of the same things, which I think is because usually you're sleeping in the dark and Mm -hmm. you see things like shadows and stuff like that. But. 
I see something usually creepy and dark and nebulous in the corner of the room. Sometimes my brain takes that further and interprets it to be a person. And there's like a whole little dream around that. Usually they're like coming to get me or they're after me or they're hovering over me or something like that. And it's particularly scary because you can't move and you can't like I know I try to yell a lot Mm -hmm. when it happens. You can't do it and you eventually wake yourself up. But you're awake. Mm-hmm. Like, you feel like you're awake. You're aware of something going on. And a lot of times I'm aware it's not real. Yeah. Like, I know what is happening, but I can't stop it happening. Um, so on one occasion, usually it's really scary and awful. On one occasion, this happened. But instead of everything being really dark and seeing something in the corner and that whole thing happening, it was like bathed in a white light and the room was dark but it it was bathed in a white light and it was you (laughs) and you were like hey i'm like hey you're like you're having sleep paralysis it's okay and i was like okay and you were just like happy and nice and smiling and then i like came out of it and i was like okay this is the nicest sleep paralysis i've ever had i like to show up like gandalf in more people's dreams but yeah you were just bathed in white light <laughs> and you just told me i was having sleep paralysis and that i was okay and then i was okay and then i woke up that's nice it was weird <laughs> it was nice but i'm like that is very strange and it was like angelic yeah it was so strange it was really funny to me. Uh, I feel like I have a booger. Do I have a booger? <laughs> Not that I can see, but there is a paper towel. No, I'm just going to hide behind this uh, right here. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, um, like I said, multiple people reported full out-of-body experiences. Um, uh, others experienced almost nothing. Richard Dawkins put the thing on, and he was like, yeah, I kind of felt weird. I feel like we've watched a video of this before. If we have, I have not seen it. Or (laughs) if we have, I don't remember it. Okay, maybe it was something different. But I feel like I remember people putting a helmet on Mm -hmm. and talking about what they were experiencing. The thing is, it hasn't been reproduced with any reliability. Only like one other study managed Mm -hmm. to find people like actually having this experience. And another study actually found that they put a dummy helmet on people and they had the same experiences. Well, it's that thing of like, if you tell people what they're supposed to expect. Sure. Then they're gonna. Which calls into question, you know, the initial study. What did people know about? Right. That's, that's, that's why in any study, knowing if it's like a double blind study or a single blind or like who knew what is a very important parameter to know. Right. So I only mentioned it because it's something I heard about a long time ago, and I always kind of thought it was true. I was a little bit let down to find it might not actually be the case, but. um, It's an interesting idea that I definitely don't buy. The fact that you can't reproduce it with with magnets is, you know, whatever. Fine. But the really interesting part is the underlying question of like how the bicameral mind may have formed and how how the mind exists now and what the separate halves are doing and all of that. That's cool. Um. I have one more thing, and right. uh, and we have to talk about it because we're talking about brains and computers. Unfortunately, we have to rope in everyone's favorite Bond supervillain, Elon Musk, <laughs> to talk about um, the future of, 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 you know, interfacing with the brain. Okay. Um, so, you know, 
Elon Musk described it as, you know, the, the the sort of technologies that they're working with over in Neuralink is saying the neurons are like wiring and you need an he says you kind of need an electronic thing to solve an electronic problem. I think that's actually kind of a fair assessment on some level is you don't need electronics to solve the brain, but it's one of two of the big ways that the brain communicates with itself, you know, yeah. bet- between chemistry and electronics. The brain is doing like kind of two things. Um, So I wanted to talk about Neuralink, not because I necessarily think they're doing a better job than anybody else. They are doing some really interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. They're not the only ones doing it. They're just the most well known. They're well known. They managed to carry over some of that rock star power from, you know, sort of uh, old musky. Oh, no one calls me that or has ever called me that. Should we explain what that is? <laughs> it's it's a, the, the Onion article. Uh, no one calls me that or has ever called me that. Our interview with Ole Muskie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, such a funny title. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, like there's lots and lots and lots of other people who have been and are working with brain implant technology, stimulating the brain with electrodes, things like that for years and years. But... Where I think Neuralink gets a lot of credit is they have applied that kind of, you know, they they have started to envision what the normalization of brain interface technology could look like in the future. And that's a huge step for continuing the development of this stuff and maybe making it approachable to people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you think about you know, uh, people, you know, putting electrodes in the brain, you probably picture something relatively scary, or at least I think I do. I mean, like I've seen images in the past of just like <clears throat> someone's got a braided cable going up their head and then it just sticks into the yeah. middle of their brain at some point, mm-hmm. which is invasive and scary, you know, um, and not all, you know, brain, you know, electrode type technology looks like that. But it's kind of like the picture you have in your head, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's the sci-fi treatment, you know, that we've we've seen yeah. editions of over and over again. So I think that Neuralink gets credit for trying to rebrand this kind of technology and also make it seem, you know, appro- like approachable, you know? You know, it's marketing. It's all about marketing. It if is. If you just make the electrodes like fluffy and cute. <laughs> and name them things. Right. It's fine. Well, like, okay. I don't know what. That's you, not what they, I have no idea what they actually do. I'm just. I don't know what you would picture kid. when you imagine a brain implant, you know, like that's, you know, I don't know what most people picture, but let me lay out what the Neuralink device actually looks like. You want to know what I picture? What? A little metal Tic Tac. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, it just like sticks. Tic Tac shaped. It's just like somewhere in your brain. Like a, a pill. Tic-tac. Yeah. That's it's it's bigger than that, but it's it's less invasive than that. Let me keep my tic tac. Okay. You keep your tic tac. I'll tell you what Elon Musk is up to. Okay. So the Neuralink device that they're working with right now um looks like you know a coin cell battery? Yeah. Kinda looks something like that. So what they do is they have this coin cell shaped thing. It has a battery built in. It has, um, I believe, wireless uh, signal 
you know, in and out of it, right? And it has a magnetic base. What's the base. password for your brain's wireless <laughs> signal? <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. All right. Got it. Hack a brain. Yeah, see. This it's is, all this. zeros at first, and then you have to reprogram it. Um, so, yeah, like the the device is, is you know, uh, disc-shaped, and it has a magnetic base. And that magnetic base has connectors, you know, little like uh, pad connectors, right? And basically it goes directly onto a similarly coin-shaped implant that sits right along, like flush with your skull. Mm-hmm. So you take this little coin and you hold it up to your head and it just kind of magnets on there and it sits right on top of the base of the skull. Okay. Now what's happening on the inside of that connector is really, really interesting. So you have... All of these very, very narrow, I think it was like four micrometer. No, that can't be. I can't, I can't remember the exact measurement, but very, very small electrode wires that come from that base unit and go into the brain matter. Really, really thin, thinner than uh, human hair. Very, very small. Um, and those all, you know, kind of disperse inside the the skull and there there can be a lot of them too. I'm trying to remember. I think I wrote it down. You can have like thousands of them. I still dislike this. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, the, but the idea behind it is that they're installed by a machine. You're going to really hate this. <laughs> so they're. That's not making me feel better. They're implanted by a, what is essentially a, like a neural wire sewing machine. I knew you were going to hate that. <laughs> but it's it's it might be better than what a person could ever do, because it's got a very, right. very, very small needle. It's able to implant the wires specifically to avoid vasculature in the brain. OK, so that it doesn't cause bleeding. Um, the brain is already without, you know, senses so or, or without, you know, physical sense, like, you know, nerve endings. Yeah. So a person doesn't feel it. And it can implant, you know, thousands of these things. And then they all basically are synced up to the Neuralink device, which has, I can't remember how many thousand, like about a thousand fifty some channels, we'll call it. I can barely get Bluetooth to work correctly on my phone. <laughs> and you're telling me they're syncing up a thousand wires that they've used a machine to implant into yes. my brain. Yeah. And they do, and, and what they are able to then generate with Technology. this. I'm just going to like put my notes away because I don't, I don't even need them anymore. <laughs> like, so all of those wires mm -hmm. are synced up to channels. Those channels get represented on a virtual graph, essentially, like a real time graph. Mm -hmm. And whenever they sense nearby neural circuits firing, because they can't, they can't get so precise that they can see what a neuron is doing, but they, right. can, they can find what a group of neurons are doing. <clears throat> Okay. Um, and they can sense which ones are firing and when. And then by doing that, they can start to map what might be happening. Okay. So the live demo they did in July was the first time anyone's seen this thing. Mm -hmm. um, and what they did was they brought out three pigs, mm -hmm. three happy looking little pigs in front of a room full of journalists. And they're walking around. They all got little, little you know, metal disc on their head and mm -hmm. the, the, the main pig of the demo is going around sniffing stuff, you know, 
And every time this pig boops its snoot on something, you get a sound out of this. So they've mapped it to a sound, too. So the graph is showing in real time all these neurons firing, mm. you know. But you can identify like, just okay, from the neurons that they're processing physical sensation in specific in a specific region of its body. OK, so by training the, you know, the machine to the actual activity of the brain, they can start to identify it doing stuff and what that stuff is. And then furthermore, they were able to use that to model. So they they had a pig on a treadmill, right? Mm-hmm. The pig's walking on a treadmill. It's got a Neuralink in and. They first measure where the pig's limbs are versus what's going on in the brain activity. Mm-hmm. And after enough of that, then they can go, OK, now let's like, you know, not look at the camera. Can we model where the pig's limbs are just based on its brain activity? And they found they could. So they could know based on what's happening in the brain, the position of the pig's body. OK, so they link First, what they're observing the pig doing. Yeah. Then with what they're seeing, the Neuralink is reporting. Mm -hmm. And then it's so they're able to use it predictively after that because it's so accurate. That's another thing is you have to train it. You still have to train it with information because, you know, no one knows (laughs) what exactly is going on in, in any of those parts of the brain that the electrodes have just landed at. You right, have you to have make... to do lots of things like, okay, I'm going to give it this <clears throat> stimulus and okay, when it reacts to that, it looks like that. So, all mm-hmm. right, that's what these particular nerves are doing in this area. So that's what these specific links are picking up on. Yeah. That's a lot of work. It is a lot of work, but it's a really interesting way of being able to look at a lot of brain activity in real time. Hmm. Which I think is pretty cool. Um, the sewing machine thing, I know it it probably would freak most people out. But I think it's really impressive that this, like, friendly-looking robot can just install these little wires into your brain. And, for that matter, that you can then later remove this thing with no damage to your brain. That's the promise, anyway. God knows what's actually going to happen in practice. Yeah. But they have limited authority now to start testing this on people. Um, and the implications are big. I mean, so like the the long goal of this is to give people a way to use their brains to interface with other things. Okay. I'm just going to say this. <laughs> Let's hear it. I don't want anyone to know how my brain works better than I do or before I do. Fair. Yeah. No, I get that. I mean, that's really what's spooky about this. And because if you know that well how my brain works, you can manipulate me without me even knowing it. Very good point. Well, yes, I I, want to make a distinction, though. Like what we can do now is read stuff from the brain like we can read that things are firing and maybe even if they, you know, for a while. So, like, here's an example. Also, they, I can't lie to you if you know. What what your brain looks like when it's lying. Right. That's true. I mean, <laughs> if they, the thing is, the getting inside the brain is the ultimate polygraph. I was going to say, it's more accurate than a polygraph. Yeah. Now, 
Here's the other thing, though. You might have to train a machine on many, many, many truths and lies right. before it could recognize a truth or a lie in someone. Yeah. But can you then generalize that like algorithmically and say, OK, this is a pretty we're pretty sure that most people's brains do these sequence of things when they're lying. You still get into dicey stuff like people whose brains work differently, people who don't have the same reactions to telling a lie versus telling a truth. Sure. And, and people who lie so much that it might as well be the same thing. Yeah. So people who have no physiological response to lying. Yeah. But but Or people who who are technically not telling the truth but believe it. Right. So it might as well be the truth because they think it's the truth. So for me, the question is, can we do those things? Like, can we ever get to a point where we can say with reliability that someone is lying based on a generalized, maybe algorithmic sort of like trained model on what people do when they're telling the truth and lying? I don't know that it would ever get to the point that we can feasibly use it to replace a polygraph because of all the effort and work. It would yeah. take because you have to train it to the individual. Well, but what if you what if you didn't have to is my question. What if we could find is it possible for us to to find some general thing that, that doesn't apply to a specific person? Like there's a bigger question in all this, which yeah. is how well can we broadly like understand how everyone's mind works based on modeling one or a few or hundreds or thousands of people? And then what does that mean for the last truly private space that exists? Yeah. Which is the inside of your head. I think where it's interesting to me, like the answers I would want is we talk a lot about how everyone's brain is so different. Uh-huh. So it, it would just be interesting to me to actually have numbers on like, okay, well, how different are they really? Sure, we like, we won't know like this. we say that they're different, but like how different is it? It will be sometime I think before we have any real idea. Right. Um and I'm saying what I'm saying is if you get the answer to that question then that's your answer. That's yeah. the jumping off point for is there a way to generalize this? Yeah. But but to first know or understand a little bit more about like why and how and how much we're actually different is fascinating. Yeah. But it's scary. It is scary. I, I think there's like such a legitimate Spoopy. privacy fear. <laughs> see? You see? <laughs> also, like, you know, people and legitimately so fear things like, you know, DNA tests, genetic testing that goes into like a database you know b mm. for privacy reasons yeah so imagine this is even more like mm -hmm. let me tell you exactly how my brain works and then you know that it's interesting because you can have anonymity and end up not having privacy your brain's right. information can be used to index how brains work and form a system that invades your privacy mm-hmm um, there's legitimate ethical questions about this, but like, here's the real thing. I, there's a sci-fi screenplay a brewing in my head with this. I think the real question is, are you going to give up your privacy to have a hands-free phone that you don't have to touch to manipulate? Cause that's, what's really going to happen is there's going to be a point where technology will 
have a recreational purpose and will be well well developed enough that people will be like, oh, great, I can hop on my Peloton and, and swipe through the menu without touching anything, just using my brain. I'll take that. I want to say no, but I don't think that's fair. Yeah. I want to say that I would say no, right? But yeah. I don't think that's fair because I think we've already said yes to a lot of things we didn't think we'd say to. This is where I'm this is where I'm going with this. Yeah. You know? I mean, we say yes to a contract every time we sign up for like a phone or a new app without even reading it. Yeah. We don't even read it. <laughs> it's like South Park brilliantly. It's South Park episode. Human Sentai pad kind of nailed that one down. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I want to quickly say that there's short term goals for this technology. There are real, practical, helpful applications for deep brain electrode stimulation that they already use for like Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. Um, they're exploring, you know, and finding some evidence that there's some use with like electrode stimulation for OCD, depression, mm-hmm. Alzheimer's, there are more uses for this technology. And if you can get that, you know, from essentially a small disc on your head that isn't, you know, some big piece of lab equipment, you can live your life normally. I mean, we already have similar ish devices for hearing and things. Right. You know? Exactly. I mean, like wearing wearable technologies exist for a bunch of different things. And this could prove really helpful to a lot. I mean, imagine it's somewhat I saw it described as a pacemaker for the brain. Yeah, that's what I started thinking about is like, OK, we have things like pacemakers. Right. Imagine if you had essentially a pacemaker for your brain that could stop you from being depressed. What would you not give <laughs> to not right. have to worry about that kind of thing? Well, the I feel like. I feel like who this would be most tempting for is like the people who've tried every medication, which are many people. Right. And and many combinations of medications and still. Yeah, because it's not a, per, you know, it's not a perfect solution if it's helping at all. I think the reason for that is that and this is something <laughs> I wrote in my notes and just remembered. We we attack the brain's problems with the, a blunt tool. Because we can't yeah. do much better. But if we're talking about targeting areas of the brain very, very tiny, specifically, and doing it you know, with electricity, not like not like changing the neurons decision making protocol, but changing the neuron. The stimulus. Yeah. yeah. Like not like, oh, we'll up the threshold or lower the threshold for this behavior. No, like we know by hitting this with electricity, we stimulate a process that is you know thera- therapeutic yeah it's it's the right tool it's for like the tens pain management theory uh, therapy for your brain do you a, know what tens is no it tends is uh like in electric impulses but mm. low grade ish but you you oh, can buy a machine oh, at walgreens it, is it and you put you, it on your back and you just make your muscles jump yeah but it's supposed to help with pain okay uh, if you put them in, you know, certain areas that are like close to where you're having pain, mm-hmm. it some people have a good response to them that prevents them from having to maybe take as many pain medications and gotcha. things like that. It's it's one of the things that people have looked into as an alternative in pain management mm-hmm. therapies. Okay. So but that's what I think. It's like a tens unit for your brain. It's sort of it sort of is, but like. 
that's just the thing is it's on the right scale because yeah. like all this shit in the brain happens at such a small scale that we're only now really being able to like listen and target these very specific areas. So like it just strikes me that of course so many other approaches for dealing with the brain haven't worked for people because we're essentially bathing the brain in stuff that we hope is targeted right. narrowly enough to just create our desired effect and not create ill effects. Right, and everything has side effects. Yeah. And it's there's lots of reasons why it works the way it works, but one is that whole like everyone's brain is different. We don't know how it's going to react. Yeah. And we're also reacting after the fact to the effects that we can see and that people report their feeling. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of interpretation to that. That's subjective that the person is feeling and that and that's important because especially for stuff like depression, like that's the important part. Mm -hmm. But then you also have all the side effects. So you're just like you said, it's a blunt tool. We're like, hey, take this medication and then. After the fact, we've just thrown some chemicals into the mix and we're hoping that it does something. Yeah. Then based on what you tell us, your feeling, we're going to decide if that's good or if we need to add more chemicals or change the chemicals or it, it's such. Yeah, There's it's such an like. Not good science, but it's the only way we have. It, there's inaccuracies and inefficiencies at every possible step. Yeah. From the manufacturer of a drug itself to our ability to know even right, the right questions to, to ask. Then you have to trust that the drug you're putting in you consistently yeah. is the drug that you're supposed to be putting in you because you have to trust manufacturers. Yeah, that that there's like so many factors down the line yeah. for things to work Just for the, you. The thought of working directly on the brain at the brain's level has so much promise to me. But unfortunately, yeah. right now, it might mean a sewing machine stabs you in the head a thousand times. But I, I do see the potential for that. Yeah. For yeah. that specific cause alone. Yeah. I do also see a future where it's bastardized and used for things like you said. Short term and long term. The vision will change. As, as this thing becomes normalized, <laughs> its applications will open. And everyone's going to want a piece of your brain and they'll be able to probably have it <laughs> with your consent in a 40 page document you don't read. <laughs> this <laughs> so, is scary. I see. I it didn't sound so spooky at the beginning, did it? But now you're pretty spooked out. Mm hmm. I'm spooked and duped. Happy Halloween, everyone. It's a jingle jangle of a Leroy <laughs> oh, Jenkins. Oh, no. It's a spooky ghost. <laughs> it's the ghost of Braden. Oh, no. It's actually Bo. Yeah, it's Bo. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's all I got. And we kind of went a little long here. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know, but we I'm really We only do this every couple weeks. Me too. Let's go eat some Italian sausage. I got to go to the store. All right. And then I got to grill it. <sighs> I'm going to eat like 10 Reese's cups first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for listening though I uh, The brain scares me And delights me And uh, thank you for having As the patience to listen to should. this um, We will be back Thanks for listening to us pretend Like we know anything about the brain <sighs> Yeah oh boy <laughs> I can't disclaimer it enough Like I just you know I This is the real broad Layman's cursory Don't call me a broad Listen 
you lady you <laughs> I was, I, female it's weird as soon as you said don't call me broad i was about to be like listen here broad and i'm like that oh i don't like it she just, <laughs> she just said don't do that <laughs> um anyway we will be back in a couple of weeks with the scariest spookiest Ooh. episode just in time for a hold on to your for, butts yeah hold, hold on to your butts for two weeks yeah but don't poop in your hands unless you're being chased by the police Maybe not even then. Maybe not even then. Uh, We'll be back. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for listening. We will see you next time with another episode of Goose Chase. Goose Chase. Have a spoopy couple of weeks. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Goose Chase. We are Goose Chase Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. On Twitter, our handle is at GooseChasePod. And our website is www.goosechasepodcast.com. If you have any topics you'd like us to research, please email us at goosechasepodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do on the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and Google Play. Want to go on a goose chase? Ooh, yes. 